Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm in India. And we are your theory doctors. Hello. Welcome back. How are you doing? Not bad. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. It's Well, it's two holidays today. It's two holidays. First of all, it's Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Second of all, more importantly, it is Brexit Day 2.0. Happy Brexit Day 2.0. Is it 2.0? 3.0? Brexit was supposed to happen in March. Then we got an extension. Did, was there an extension in between? I don't even know. I don't even know. Is it 2.0? Yeah. Is it 3.0? How yeah. many Brexit days are there going to be? Nobody knows. My uh, my favorite meme of the days, a number of people have shared it, that, you know, Brexit day these days, it's just become so commercial now. It's not like <laughs> it used to be. Uh, I think I think so far, the, like, the only positive of the whole situation has been the creativity of memes. Yeah. Right, there's, there's, what, what's your favorite Brexit meme? I think my favorite Brexit meme is the one that however many years in the future, if 150 years in the future, the British Prime Minister on whatever date is in October travels to Brussels to ask the EU for a, an extension to the Brexit deadline and no one knows what it what it means. It's yeah. just a tradition. Yeah, that's a good one. I've, another another favorite is I saw on the other day with sort of a photo of two very elderly women, you know, who look like they might be in the 90s, sitting and chatting, and they're two speech bubbles. And the first woman asks the second, uh, are you looking forward to, uh, or, or do you think we'll have a second referendum? And the other woman says, yeah, I hope so. I was too young to vote last time. <laughs> um, are we talking about Brexit today? We're not. We're not talking about Brexit today. We don't really have much to say about Brexit, to be honest. No. It is ongoing. It will always be ongoing. It will be ongoing for a while. So the extension is for three months. Yes. So January 31st will be uh, the next Brexit day. And we we will mark it with an episode, I think. Probably. Uh, it, perhaps not a full episode. Depends what happens. We it don't know. what happens. Yeah. To be honest, I have lost track of some of the specifics. So... You are better at keeping up with the kind of the day-to-day kind of decisions and discourses and debates that happen. I am not so good at that. So I sort of, like the other day, I said to Tom, I was like, so is it, is there an extension? And he was like, yes, didn't you hear? And I was like, well, you know, they were talking about it for a while, so. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's very... very easy and, and sometimes desirable to tune out because it's it can it can affect one's equilibrium as it were. Um, but yes, so Brexit has been delayed for the moment. Uh, we now are looking forward. Are we looking forward to a general election? Another yet another election. Yes. in which I am disenfranchised. Yes, because you're a, you're a useless foreigner I am coming a here foreigner. taking taking other people's jobs. Definitely, that is definitely yes. true. Yes. Um, so elections in Britain will be on the 12th of December. We will probably do election episodes nearer the time. Um, but today, as we in Britain gear up to an election campaign, we thought we would do an episode on image making and politics yeah i'm really excited to see for for kind of this round you know in the last round of elections Theresa may was was running the show and she for you know for all her kind of political faults in the sense that 
she does a lot of things that I disagree with politically. One thing that she was was really dull in terms of of creating political imagery, both in how she created herself as a as a political persona uh, and in how she kind of represented herself in images like it it, it was astonishing actually and, and incredible and just how professional and uh, formal she managed to to keep things and I find that really boring but this time we have the king of kooky the king of cuckoo pants, Boris Johnson himself, and I am so excited to see what he is going to pull out of the bag because it is going to be outrageous. It is going to be hilarious. It is going to be like problematic in the best possible way for our podcast. So I'm thrilled actually about this upcoming election season. I am just so excited to see what's going to happen. I honestly can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. Yes and no. Like, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic in the sense that the whole situation probably doesn't deserve the kind of flippancy that I'm giving it. But at the same time, like, I'm really serious. Boris is incredible. He's incredibly skilled at creating an image of himself as being incredibly unskilled. It's, it is uh, astonishing to watch. It's, it's impressive. Um, and the political implications of it are magnificent like it's 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 really fascinating so just following on from that can you speak to any particular image given that today's podcast is about politicians and the way they use images Mm -hmm. uh to further a, a narrative of their political identity as it were can you speak to any any of your favorite boris johnson images I think I mean my favorite just because it happened it happened ar- around the time that I was kind of s- sort of settling here and becoming more aware of British discourse um w- was of course the 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 masterpiece moment the prat on a wire um Boris was mayor of London for a decent amount of time too long and uh he uh, incidentally, and this is a tangent, but I'm going to tell the story. I don't know if I've told it on the podcast before, but when I was living in London, I saw Boris Johnson at the Islington View Cinema. Did you manage to touch him? I did. I, I didn't really have a desire to, but he was maybe five feet away from me, and he was waiting to go into a film, and he was holding a bottle of Heineken beer. I think it was a kind of man of the people moment. And he was, I am like, to avoid libel, I'm like 98% sure that it was Boris Johnson. I was sober when I saw him and I was alone. I went to see an afternoon movie alone by myself. And he, it was after, I think it was probably after work for him. And he was sort of doing like kind of low key constituent building or whatever it was he was doing. And a woman went up and spoke to him and had a, a little chat. And he looked trademark disheveled. Um, trademark disheveled, I mean, Boris is, is quite well known for cultivating a man of the people uh, kind of messy persona that he doesn't care about his his physical appearance. He's not particularly vain about his, his personal appearance, right? This is the kind of persona. So his shirt was partially untucked. He, he was like, he was, he was having a totally relaxed, off-duty afternoon at the View Cinema. And 
I was like, huh, I've just gotten to the point where I've been in the UK long enough that I know who this man is. And not long after he appeared in the news stuck on a zip line. And it's, I mean, it, it, in terms of the kind of self-awareness to know what, what he looks like, to know how ridiculous the sight of him dangling in a suit from a wire would be, I mean, it is incredible. Yeah, it, it plugs into a very specific uh, map or, or, or a very specific model of British masculinity, mm-hmm. uh, which is the sort of bumbling, shambolic... Hugh Grant. Yeah, sort of... And there, there is there is an imperial angle to this, right? The bumbling, mm-hmm. shambolic colonial figure who makes an appearance every time there is another narrative that for example, describes partition as sort of well-meaning but ignorant British administrators mm-hmm. messing up. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that figure makes a reappearance again and again who yeah. sort of, you know, wears a crumpled linen suit and uh, speaks in a posh accent and is well-meaning but useless. Yeah. And there is a direct connection between that figure and the persona that Boris Johnson cultivates as as a politician today. Yeah, he definitely, and well, he benefits also from the look. So he's got this like shaggy blonde hair. He did cut it just before the the conservative leadership election over the summer. So of course, some of the the left leaning media outlets kind of described it as the the prime minister haircut that he he got in advance of becoming prime minister. Um, but until very recently, he did have a kind of wild, posh schoolboy type haircut that actually like guys like Prince Harry and and Prince William when they were younger also had and would cultivate. Which is different from the equally public school persona that David Cameron Presented. Yes. What, what did David? How did David Cameron present himself? Sort of clean cut, clean shaven, always mostly in a suit. You know, well presented. Benedict um, Cumberbatch. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Yes. I think. I think that's a that's a good sort of straight laced. The straight lacedness of of Benedict Cumberbatch is a good example. Yeah. Um, Which is a different a different but equally powerful presentation of. British masculinity. Yeah, I guess what's interesting, though, is I can imagine... I mean, there have been other politicians who have cultivated that image, right? I mean, it's not all that different from Blair mm-hmm. uh, uh, or, or George Osborne, for example. But I can't think of many other British politicians who have done what Boris Johnson has done, who have cu- who have cultivated this particular uh, shambolic... Uh, sort of the 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 performance of a kind of incompetence which is coded as populist. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else who's quite managed this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cuz um it's interesting that the the media it, around the 2010 and then the 2015 elections um, and I'm thinking of Ed Miliband, the treatment of Ed Miliband in the media in like 2014, 2015. He was coded as incompetent, like like 
to the point where he was coded sometimes as being barely sentient. Fascinating media coverage of, of Ed Miliband. And he also had a bit of, of um, shambolic to him, but it was the, kind of the opposite. It was nerdy. Yeah. It was like geeky, nerdy, um, Wallace and Gromit type mad inventor mm-hmm. persona, which is very different from, from Boris's, which is not nerdy. It's the opposite. Is, is I mean, before we turn the machine on, we, we t- were talking a little bit about parallels between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and the parallels have been noted many many times. You know, there's a there's a they do have a resemblance in in terms of the way they look and the way they present themselves. But I think that the uh, the similarity is often overstated. Yeah. For me, that the 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 primary point of similarity is they are both politicians for whom normal political rules don't apply, right? Trump can get away with things that no one else could get away with. Boris Johnson can get away with things with things that no one else could get away with. Other than that, I'm not convinced that there is all that much that is similar mm-hmm. between Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. I wonder, though, in this deliberate cultivating of a, a sort of shambolic incompetence as a marker of man-of-the-people populism... Mm-hmm. Is there actually more in common between Boris Johnson and George W. Bush? Because Bush yeah. had that same line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where l- the liberals would often sneer at, you know, the the Bushisms when yeah. when he, you know, he's the French don't even have a word for entrepreneur or or, or whatever. SNL had yeah. a had a whole whole slew of that, and I always it always struck me quite how much that was missing the point. Yeah, because the people who would vote for him weren't voting for him in spite of the fact that he got his words wrong. They saw someone who got his words wrong and thought, well, you know, he seems like one of us and we yeah. have a beer with him and we'll vote for him. Yeah. I too sometimes pick the wrong word to say yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Huh. Um, and I wonder if there is a similar underestimating going on when liberals and lefties like us in Britain laugh at the ridiculousness of Boris Johnson. Yeah. Because we don't see it. The image of that ridiculousness isn't targeted at us because we were never going to vote for him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I. What's interesting about Boris is, is I don't think... I'm not sure that the imagery itself necessarily, like like him getting stuck on a zip line, is a reason that people would because to no one has voted for him, in the sense that he's the prime minister, but he has not yet been through an election. No, which is why I'm looking forward to to seeing how he uses visual media to engage with this election. I think it, it will be really fascinating. Um, and there have been times when he has pulled himself back from the public eye, really important moments where he hasn't really known what to do or what to say and takes 
time to rally or prepare or kind of doesn't doesn't engage where people expect him to hop right in and get his kind of politics going. Um, after Brexit, for example, he the the Brexit referendum, he he ended up not winning that leadership election, partly because there were other kind of politics going on, and he didn't really hop in and and do anything. Um, he he pulled back, and it was a really intre- I thought it was quite interesting that he there weren't images of shambolic men of the people, Boris Johnson, making funny quips that are self deprecating and and reminiscent of of Hugh Grant in any movie from the nineties. You know there, that Boris wasn't here. He was nowhere to be found. And Theresa May won that leadership election. So it's, I'm curious to see if he, if he does mobilize that Boris, he might not. Yeah. Um, the, the use of visual imagery in election campaigning, both the way Boris constructed himself as a parliamentary candidate in mm-hmm. his own constituency, the way Boris conducted himself as a mayoral candidate for the London mayoral election, and the way he conducted himself in uh, the party leadership elections when when he became leader of elected leader of the Conservative Party and therefore became prime minister. Um, all of these previous examples suggest that he probably won't do that. He probably yeah. will continue in this. Uh, humorous vein where he he doesn't care if he makes some people laugh sort of some people laugh at him for looking ridiculous because the people who laugh at him were never going to vote for him anyway yeah uh there's a parallel here with uh someone else who we've spoken about a fair few times on this on this podcast uh that is modi the prime minister of india uh today i uh this this image came across my social media and i shared it i I try very hard not to share his images on my timeline just because I quite like my timeline not to be sort of infected by his images. But this one was was so ridiculous that I felt I had to share it. Um, Modi is well known for having lots and lots of photo photo ops with his mother. Mm-hmm. So every time he visits his mother, the joke is he takes a camera person with him. And... There are photos of him, you know, paying respects to his mother, hugging his mother, being fed by his mother, all of those things to prove his humble origins and to prove, you know, his essential decency as as a man. In this particular photo, uh, which uh, we will will share on Twitter, uh, uh, if you if you follow us on Twitter, you'll see it. Um, the The photo is of Modi bowing down in front of his mother, you know, accepting her blessings, in what looks like his mother's living room. On the wall behind them is a photo of Modi's mother feeding Modi. (laughs) And in the photo, which I think is in the same room, there is another photo on the wall of Modi and his mother. Uh, I mean, Baudrillard and simulation and simulacra is sort of, you know, field day for the for for that kind of analysis, but I think there is something similar going on here, which is 
we might laugh at the ridiculousness of this. We might think it obscene that Modi is exploiting his mother in this way. Uh, famously, in the lead up, in on on the day, the the night before the counting of the last general elections, which Modi won in a huge landslide, he had he sort of disappeared off into a cave to pray, and there were there were photos of him in this cave you know, meditating and praying praying for an election victory. Uh, we might find it obscene that the leader of a secular nation, that India still is officially a secular nation, would pray in this way for for uh, for the purposes of, of media coverage. But in the same way, anyone who thinks Boris's antics to be ridiculous would never vote for him anyway. Anyone who finds these photos obscene weren't going to vote for Modi anyway. So the the image is doing something that isn't about attracting voters. The images are doing something that isn't about changing people's minds. The image, I think, is doing something different. It's It's sort of reinforcing a narrative that exists anyway. And... The, the politicians and the image makers behind them aren't worried that the narrative is going to alienate a section of the electorate because it's going to attract a larger selection of the electorate is the, is the logic behind the image, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of um, images that you and I have enjoyed. So political images where there's a, the image itself, the in- image itself outside of its creation so in within a kind of wider uh media discourse or public discourse performs something by its existence but also the person in the image when they were when they were captured in the image was performing i'm thinking of majid majid the former lord mayor of sheffield who's now an mep uh and i'm thinking of obama uh, specifically the series of photos of Obama with kids, um, where the the performance that's going on is a performance that you and I find not, not ridiculous and to be ridiculed, not funny uh, in a... Uh, funny in a bad way right the the modi's on a wall type but that we find funny in a productive or engaging or politically appealing way majid majid very famously when he had his portrait taken uh his official portrait when he was um made lord mayor of sheffield which is not an elected position it's a it's a one year long the lord mayor positions are one year long positions where the the city councils will vote uh for the Lord Mayor and they will spend a year kind of doing public outreach, um, doing kind of cultural programming and representing the city. And it goes between parties. So political parties share the the role of Lord Mayor. So Majid Majid was a member of the Green Party. I think he was the youngest, one of the youngest Lord Mayors ever. I think he was definitely the youngest in Sheffield. Uh, a refugee... Uh, from a refugee family, he was a refugee when he was a, a small child. When he was like six, when he came to the 
UK, something like that. He was a kid. Um, and he was overtly and politically, he was performing a political difference. He was performing a, what he called a new kind of politics um, that was a, a progressive response to right-wing populism. And in a sense, he was engaging popular discourse, but he was mobilizing it for a progressive, more left-wing position. So he's very famously uh, pro-EU. Um, he's also very famously pro-migrant and pro-refugee. He's very outspoken on those topics. He's also anti-racist, so he's very outspoken in terms of uh, popular anti-racism discourse. And he took a photograph in his Doc Martens wearing the ceremonial gold chain. What's it called? I don't know what these things are called. Um, ceremonial gold chain of the office uh, kneeling on the stair rail. So the, the kind of little platform at the, at the base of this, the stairs. And that pose became iconic for him. So he started kneeling and people would kneel with him when they were posing for photos with him. And it was, a, it was an informal and it was a reference to kind of informal um, kind of urban youth culture of um, essentially informality and playfulness and... Um, and, and assertiveness as yeah, well, and right? Yeah, assertiveness, yes. A pride in, a, in, an, in an often marginalized, often, often both... A youth culture of color, but yeah, even yeah. when it isn't of color, it's often racialized. Yeah. It's an othered youth culture uh, that is being projected as as desirable. So the contrast is being set up between the center of power within a city yeah. and the youth culture with, of that city that is often marginalized. And and Majid Majid represents the, the coming together of, of those two things, the, the, the youth culture taking up of, of power within the city. Yeah, and that image, he received significant abuse online and he received hate mail written on paper sent to his office about that image. Racist abuse, classist abuse. Um, it, it, it's really interesting that the he was also ridiculed, but from a different politics. Yeah, and, and that... This is the key thing, right? In, in in all of these cases, you know, we, you you mentioned Obama in passing. The 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 famous photo that I'm thinking of is uh, Obama with a with a black kid, and the kid has clearly asked Obama about his hair, mm -hmm. and he's sort of bending down in front of the kid as the kid feels Obama's hair. The subtext, of course, is you know a kid thinking that someone with who has hair like me has become president, maybe yeah. I could too. The the images and the politics behind the images in in the case of Obama and Majid, on the one hand, and the politics and the, of the image images of Boris Johnson and Modi on the other are polar opposites, but they share something in common, right? They they are not designed, I don't think, to attract support from people who wouldn't be inclined to support them anyway. Yeah. You and I might consider were the option available to vote for an Obama, to vote for a, for a Majid, but we wouldn't based on those pictures. No. 
we would based on the politics that is represented in those pictures. Yeah, but the politics existed already. Yes. Well, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but it's the politics that is the reason for us voting. Yeah. Right? So the question then is, why do these images matter so much? I mean, I wonder... I mean, there, I... I one of the theoretical concepts that's coming to me is interpolation. Um, and the the man of the people, the populist persona, the being able to connect with the image of the politician, uh, th- that can kind of be explained by interpolation, uh, which is the idea that, that um, cultural representation projects a certain image about identity that then we as individuals and collectively consume and we then reflect it back and then cultural representation takes what we're reflecting and devises itself again so it there's this constant kind of back and forth which is what creates culture but also what creates identity so it's a a sort of mutually constitutive relationship and in a sense, George W. Bush was was successful in some ways at constructing that relationship. People people would often describe him as like, yeah, he's you know he's not the smartest guy, but I would definitely love to have a beer with him. Which was exactly the image that they were the the kind of administration around him was trying to create. And I mean, this is going back a, a few years, right? But if you if you look at both the Bush-Gore election from 2000 and the Bush-Kerry election from 2004, you can tell, looking at it now, you can tell that the iconography that Kerry and Gore were going for was a kind of quote-unquote presidential yeah. narrative, right? You could, you know, people people wrote about the fact that Kerry has presidential hair. Um, As if there's such a thing. Well... Apparently there is, but but what's fascinating is that Kerry and Go weren't going for the "Do people want to have a beer with me?" Yeah, persona. They were going for the gravitas, the presidential. Yeah. Do people trust me? Do people trust me? Can people see? Can people see me as commander in chief, leader of the free world? That kind of thing. And that now that that approach failed miserably for both of them. Well, I mean. Yeah. I feel I feel harsh saying it failed failed for gold because there's other stuff that there's other on. stuff that 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 you know listeners probably know about but is not really part of this this podcast today. But it is certainly true that at no point in Bush's political career was he ever interested in appearing to be presidential in a kind of monarchic sense right the the sense of a leader who is deliberately and uh uh the the leader who is deliberately not sort of out of touch but beyond the reach of the electorate yeah and that that is a desirable thing to be yeah even his responses to 9-11 so after he kind of he rallied and got over the kind of initial shock and not really knowing what to do. The speech that he gave from the White House, the live address that he made to 
the U.S. and the world after 9-11, where he uh, quotes from uh, the Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, he talks about coming together. And it's there is gravitas, of course, because the the event itself carried so much meaning for the United States. But even then, the persona that he was projecting wasn't of, I am this um, kind of formal presidential elite person. It is, I am one of you and I am experiencing the grief of this with you. It was, it was seriousness, but it was also a, we are in this together. Um, and even some of the war on terror discourse, if you're not with us, you're against us. He was the kind of a sort of Katniss Everdeen type character. Like I am one of you as opposed to, you know, a Winston Churchill type character. I will be the strong leader. It's a, it's a really fascinating, uh, way to spend eight years leading the United States. Yeah. And it's, it is, I guess it is, it is never really easy to predict which narrative will win out. Yeah. Right in an election campaign. Because Obama, of course, did the reverse. Did a very, he went back to a, an intellectual, somewhat elite, articulate, well-spoken, clean-cut, aesthetically pleasing approach he created. And, and, And Hillary Clinton tried the same. Yeah. And failed again. Yeah. In the face of someone who clearly believed, and I think he's right about this, believed that normal rules don't apply to him. Yeah. Right? Trump is able to, in the way that I think Boris Johnson is able to, in the way in some senses Modi is able to as well, to tear up the previous rule book because the things that previous politicians thought people care about, either people don't care about any more period or people don't think applies to these leaders. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how many... Images that are sort of compromising or unflattering of them surface on the on social media and gets shared again and again and again. That never applies negatively to them because the people who, as I'm repeating myself, but the people who see it and share it as supporters are seeing it and sharing it as supporters anyway, and the, so there's a signal amplification of the support. But the people who are seeing it and sharing it as opponents, there isn't the same signal amplification of of criticism because the criticism is there independent of whatever the image purports to show. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. There's a gendered element here as well, yes. which we need to mention. Uh, obviously, Theresa May, Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi is famously now manipulating and appropriating Trump's images of her. Um, They are subject to a different set of rules. Theresa May, especially, I think, uh, really fascinatingly was, she was just, I think she just 
didn't really enjoy having images of her made. She didn't really... Yeah, she she certainly didn't construct them in the way that Boris Johnson has constructed images of himself in the past. Um, she also, I think, you know, the way that she would engage with interviews and stuff, it was always about a kind of steady, formal, as kind of like the least amount of persona as possible. Yeah, was there was mobilized. A, there is a... Uh, the gendered politics is gendered question is absolutely there. And in a sense, I think it maps onto a kind of wider issue, which I don't believe is a real issue, but it's it's an, a certainly a discursive issue. And that's authenticity, right? So yeah. so both Theresa May and Hillary Clinton were repeatedly criticized for not being themselves, right? Yeah. The the robotic uh yeah. Accusation. Remember, May was called sort of Maybot. Yes. And Hillary Clinton again and again was castigated for appearing to be unfeeling and um, unemotional. Because, of course, both Theresa May and Hillary Clinton know full well that if they're seen to be emotional, then they're not seen to be leadership material because then they're, quote, hysterical or, you know. Yeah, or even insincere. Or even insincere. Hillary Clinton, when she yes. did, when she did lose it every once in a while was it was oh this is this is her crying now because we've all said that she can't cry and it's like well okay okay there's nothing there's no possible way for her to but and and this is what i mean the along with the sort of clear patriarchal no win situation right where either she is insincere or she is uh Unfeeling. Unfe- uh, or, or unfeeling or unfit, right? Either she's too emotional or she's not emotional enough. There is no way Hillary Clinton could win that debate. Yeah. Uh, and same for Theresa May. Um, but I wonder if there's also another element to this, which is we are missing the point, whether we are on the left or on the right, if we are reading images through a lens of authenticity. Yeah. Because we are not actually doing that. We 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 think we are doing it right so if you look at the photo of um modi praying and he looks so fake he clearly isn't praying versus the photo of obama leaning down in front of a, a young black kid and we did we judge the effectiveness or otherwise of these photos through the lens of authenticity then that is doomed to fail because the difference between these two photos is not one of stagedness versus not stagedness it's not that one is performed and the other isn't because in different senses they're both performed they might be performed in the moment or they might be performed in the aftermath in terms of you know what images are chosen to circulate to be circulated and not and and what what isn't but the difference between the images is the politics behind them right we said this in passing when we did an, an episode on uh gender and race in terms of casting yeah where we were talking about the the moral panic that the right feels when there is a, a period drama in britain let's say set in roman britain that has a black character and you know the right goes this is political correctness gone mad and the left the the standard left assertion uh or retaliation rather is 
Roman Britain was multiracial. Yeah. When a much better reaction would be, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We we need to have more people of color, more women on our screens. It is just a story. It is and and the the it is it is not that it's political correctness. It's that it is political and it's correct. Yeah. This that is a it's ultimately a story in which all of it is performed. Yes. So if you have a cast that's, you know, politically correct and diverse, yeah. the po- that is politics that you and I like. Yes. And and it's because it's good politics. Yeah. Right that and the the reason why the the image of modi spraying in the in in advance of an election result makes me feel sick is not because it's a bad attempt at staging or it's inauthentic or inauthentic or anything of, like that it's because it represents a particular form of religious national fascism which is modi's politics yeah and the reason why I like the image of Obama leaning in front of a child is because Obama's president presidency, whatever he does or doesn't do as president, the fact of his presidency represents a a, a sense of what might be possible for Black America. Yeah, and the and whether it was staged, whether it was not staged, whether it was staged in the moment, whether whether to what extent it was done in the knowledge that this might help Obama with black voters, all of that is immaterial. Because the only thing that matters is the 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 truth factor that one kind of politics, uh, a progressive, inclusive, uh, respectful, respectful of each other's humanity politics in terms of gender and race and class and caste and religion is better than the other is i'm using scare quotes because i can't not but is objectively better than the other right that isn't that the point yeah and that's the performance of of the politics of the image of course like what we were talking about the the reality of the obama administration is far more complex yes of course, but one of the one of the reasons that we have images of politicians on the campaign trail and of politicians engaging with constituents and images of Elizabeth Warren's golden retriever on the campaign trail who has her own Twitter account is because people have and it's it's less about the politicians themselves and the administration and the government itself and more about our the reflection back to us of our political identities as voters and that's where we find the meaningful Does yeah. that make sense yeah let us know what you think i don't th- i think that's probably us for the moment. Um, a quick plug for a friend of the podcast, Sam Haddo's book, his new book, Precarious Spectatorship, is now out. Um, have a look at it. It it talks about images and politics in a way that I dare say is much better than what we've just done. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what you think. Um, 
let us have your favorite political images. Yeah. Um, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichaudhvi. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our show is on Facebook at State of the Theory Podcast and on Twitter at Theory Doctors. Our music is provided by the Agrarians and this has been State of the Theory. Thank you. Thank you.